0: Hi, and welcome to Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. Social Optic offer tools and expertise, empowering organizations to gain critical insights, make informed decisions, and work together better. In this podcast series, we ask experts in their field for their views, thoughts, and advice on topics that we encounter with organizations and leaders, ranging from technology and data science to organizational culture and psychology. Roll intro. today's episode we'll be discussing the topic of thrivable organisations. Joining Benjamin Ellis is Jean Russell, artist, author, social technologist and innovator. Jean explores the concept of Thrivability, what it means, what led her to it and how Thrivability can transform our organisations and impact wider society. Let's dive in
1: sustainable or, or survival is much more grasping on as if we could hold things tight where thrivable is much more how can I consciously engage in the flows of change that allows us to feel more stable even as we're engaging in it
2: Welcome to this episode of the Work Together podcast. I am joined today by Gene Russell, and it's my absolute pleasure to have you here, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, for me, one of the great things, as we're kind of coming into the end of the series now, um, has has been to have some playful and explorative conversations with, with people who um, have exposed me to great ideas over the years. Um, and it, I think you account for I'm looking over behind me a good section of my um of my bookshelf so for (laughs) anyone who hasn't come across you um before introduce yourself um for our listeners
1: thanks Benjamin Uh, I'm very happy to be here it's an honor and a pleasure um I guess I want to start with at the place in my life right now I think of myself as an artist and you would recognize me as an author. I've published several books now. Um, and professionally, I've worked as a anything from a project manager to a COO. Um, and my work has been focused on the concept of thrivability since about 2007. Uh, and so I'm happy to talk about all the different ways that that manifests in the world. One of my particular interests is organizations.
2: Perfect. Well We'll definitely start there then. So Mm -hmm. what what is Thrivability for people who've not come across that before? What 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 does that mean to you Mm. and and mean in your work?
1: Yeah, I try to avoid overly defining it for people because it means a different thing in your context um, and with your background. And so it's not like a super fixed concept. Um, but I think we all know what thriving looks like uh, or what more thriving would look like for us, uh, for our families, for our organizations, for our society. Uh, and so it's the general impulse to move in that direction, to create more ways, more abilities to thrive uh, and to thrive together.
2: So for me, it's it's a concept that when I first came across, I embraced because it encapsulated a lot of what I was trying to get towards in terms of my my thinking with the organizations I was working with at the time how did you get there what was your your journey to arriving at the set of concepts uh, around it what kind of informed it and led to the journey there
1: yeah yeah that's an excellent question there are many different stories that I could tell about how I got there Um, You know, from an environmental point of view, I could say I grew up in the country and understood, uh, you know, what thriving looked like uh, in a a wilderness context and in a family growing our own food context. Um, And so when people were doing things like, oh, we need to recycle, I was like, this is my entire life has been doing these kinds of environmental activities. I, I don't even remember a life before that. Um and from a like personal development or organizational perspective, I had been working in philanthropy um, and trained to think about how to shift the world from a philanthropist's perspective. Like, okay, I've got some money to invest in changing the world. How am I thinking about the levers that I might be able to pull? And in the process of doing that, had gotten engaged with um, coaching and realized that helping like one person think through their best self and their best outcomes um, was such a small impact compared to the broad impact of all of us thinking that way. What is the thing that I'm striving for? What is the life that I want to have? What is the life I want my family to experience? Right. Like, how do I scale that outward to more people, more relationships? um and so that was in the you know 2005 range and then i heard this word um and went oh that's the word that tells that story that says um here's the the umbrella that allows us to come together um i also feel like i was raised um in the midwest of the united states which is politically um cross cultural or something it's not uh the the coasts and so when sustainability was coming up as a concept it felt very um guilt ridden in a way that i knew was not going to go over well with my neighbors who were much more in a like were in line with life giving rise to life and so i held it as a concept that was very across the political spectrum people would be united by this concept.
2: So it's it's a really good insight into the um the the foundation of that journey and again for me it's um it's an interesting concept because the watching a lot of organizations at the moment are arriving at the sustainable bus stop um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and kind of restructuring their organisations around how We've got to be sustainable. Um, and it, it is very much that kind of must obligation, um, moral issue type approach, um, which... I have to take a little bit of a deep breath. It's like you know, there, there is that, but that's the beginning, um, and you can move beyond that. But for, for a lot of organisations, they're just, like I say, arriving at that sustainable. And like, oh, let's let's try and do this thing. Um, whereas there's there's a definite journey through to an approach that gives you that outcome. Plus, a lot more. And there was um, a, a um, graphic you shared recently, which I will include in the, the podcast uh, yeah. resources for people who are pictorial like me. And, and I guess having served my time as a, um, a management consultant, it being a nice kind of grid was like, ah, oh, yes, I can digest this. <laughs> um, yeah. But talk me through a little bit the, the structure of that and that, um, I guess, that journey to that thrivable approach that, that starts from sustainable
1: Mm. well i was i was in san francisco uh having a brunch with a bunch of friends and somebody was like i don't know gene this sustainability you know like lots more people are interested in that it's a good thing um let's just like stick with the word that everybody's using move ahead and so a bunch of us had you know like hour-long conversation and started mapping out well what are these distinctions how are we talking about these different ideas and what does that mean and so the original graphic came out of that so what's the differences between sustainability resilience um, and more recently we've been talking about regenerativity and thrivability and the thing that i really noticed as we were working on it was thrivability includes the things that you want to do for sustainability it's not trying to make wrong the effort to be sustainable it's trying to say there's a broader umbrella here that sustainability often is not including the arts. It's more about moving away from the things we don't want to do rather than moving towards the things we do want to do. And the vibration of it is, um, you know, the energy of it is um, you've been naughty. And so how do we get to a place of um, anti-fragility where we're being creative and resourceful with each other um, because that's the way our brains work, right? Our brains, if we're in that, like, oh, I've been bad, um, then we're shutting down our creative zones, right? We're getting into a protection. Our bodies kind of curl up. And so how do we, like, open up to the creativity that we have within us? And so um, that's what I was wanting, was, was to allow that chart to come together so we could see the different um, steps, and that they continue to expand outward, uh, including more and more aliveness.
2: Um, yeah. So in terms of characterizing that, I suppose helping people e- explore that. that I've watched a lot of organizations who are on a journey from, uh, I guess, we need to stop breaking things to we need to fix things to we need. To help things fix themselves, t- t- and, and then it kind of goes steps beyond that, which is really where you get into, um, for me, where you get into the the, the thrivable. Um, I'm trying to think about how conveying that in, um, yeah, speak, speaking more to that journey, I guess, because the, yeah, the sustainable thing people tend to be looking, sort of very directly, I guess, at, um, at impact. And kind of what I would call first order change. So what mm-hmm. what what does that journey look like towards something that is a, a thrivable system, particularly from an organizational context as well, I think, because that it is interesting as, as people are looking at sustainability, it's making people look a bit beyond the organization, but but mm-hmm. you know it's it's a kind of one-hop view or it's a supply chain view. Um whereas Embracing making things survivable is quite quite a dramatically different view that incorporates all of that.
1: Yeah. So one of the lines in the chart is called level up, uh, and so you could say that sustainable is a level up from surviving. Right? Surviving is can we can we keep going, um, and is included in the original chart, but the new chart just was like we don't even need to. That's obvious. Um, So sustainable is the able to endure in a stable world, right? It's sustainable is to stay flat. And it presumes that like that flat is the appropriate response in that world. But we're just trying to get to that threshold of like what would allow us to keep that stable line. And then resilient is to stay alive longer in the changing world, right? The world is... Um, oscillating in different ways, how am I able to stay with the curves? And then I would say regenerative is a wholeness of fostering life. So it's starting to create more texture, not just ride a line. And then thrivable, I would say, is living systems are learning systems. And so it's like every perturbation in the system, every oscillation is information that helps the system learn together. And so it's about gathering all of that information inside, outside the organization, inside the individual, between individuals. How is all of that creating a learning environment that's not trying to keep a flat line, but is actually trying to explore a possibility space?
2: for me from with a kind of leadership hat on i guess some some of that flow for me is um not just attitudes toward change but how the systems are designed around change from change is something we don't want to happen to Mm. change is something we protect ourselves from through change being a positive force through to actually change is really exciting. That's what creates the opportunity to move beyond into something different and something better. Is that a a fair characterization?
1: Yes. Although there's a way in which even when you say that it's, it feels slightly, um, one dimensional to me. Change is always already happening. Um, and so the first one just feels like I'm burying my head in the sand, trying to pretend <laughs> that I can stop it from happening. Like it's already, you know, happening around us. Um, and I find actually that thrivability is closer to I'm more consciously holding stable things that helped me rather than just trying to batten down the hatches right? And so it's, okay, the change is happening. How am I engaging with that change? Where am I welcoming change? And where am I holding things staple? And I think a lot here about Donella Meadows' uh, work on changing in systems, and that you want to manage the oscillation, right? Too slow of a change, um, too slow of a curve, and you're having to do a lot of work to catch up, and too quick, and now you're just changing in response to change, and you're not able to to manage that flow, and so you create too much oscillation, and so when you're in a relationship with change in which you're being consciously engaging in how often are we um, examining this decision, not every day, you know, this level of decision making happens in this phasing, and so we have a periodicity to it that Feels solid and stable and helps ground us, but we're also every time we're experiencing that period open to changing the answer that we've come up with, and so it's it's a strange thing where the sustainable or or survival is much more grasping on as if we could hold things tight, where thrivable is much more how can I consciously engage in the flows of change that allows us to feel more stable even as we're engaging
2: in it. It's interesting. One of the responses I've seen recently in the kind of sustainable umbrella has has been, I think what some have kind of call, called kind of anti-growth mindset, not in the sense of like a campaign of anti-growth, but in terms of almost structuring things to make sure that things don't get bigger. And mm. the view that, that that is a way to kind of prevent, you know, the best way to prevent harm as a perspective or or even to the point that oh actually what we need to do is, is stop and i've seen some organizations go oh we've we've looked at our, you know, our impact and, and we decided really the best thing here is we should we should just stop we you will know, we'll give away all of our resources and we'll just stop being which particularly some of the organizations have been ones that have made a dramatic difference has kind of made me scratch my head a little bit um, which again is you know why i really love this idea of of the thrivable is that actually you you can transform into something um which isn't just you know stopping the impact or 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 creating good but but actually is this level of change of impacting on the system around you to to what you were Mm -hmm. talking about earlier in the conversation um not just individual change not just organizational change but actually systemic change and i know that's something you've it explored a little bit, so I'm probably going to pause there and, um, yeah, let you, let you say a bit about that mm. That that kind of view. How do you start to think beyond, uh, particularly as an organizational leader? I, you know, tend to think about your organization, you might think about the competition, you might think about your supply chain, um, mm. you might think about the local community around the organization, but it, that's still quite a restricted lens in terms of the possibilities of what you can do and the impact that you can have as an organization.
1: Yeah. Well, first I want to say something about the growth because I'm sure that you and I have experienced some of these growth issues where where there's some story about like oh we should be scaling up, we should re- rapidly be doing whatever um and then you do a bunch of hiring and can't manage all the people that have come in. And suddenly that's affecting your project management and your ability to deliver and throwing more people at it obviously is not uh, the way that that gets solved. And so we need to continue doing lots of research about what are the ideal kind of numbers of people in a group? What is the pace at which an organization is capable of doing um, growth? And what are the like sweet spots where that works? Because we'll sometimes decide not to do something because we're not in the sweet spot for, you know, like you've got 20 people and that's an awkward number and having 32 people would be better or having 12 would be better. Um, And I don't, I'm not an expert in that in a way that I know what those numbers are. Um, I just know that one of the things that we have to be careful about is the rate at which we're changing, the number of people involved in that change um and being like giving yourself time to have the conversation what are the right adjustments to make uh before throwing the baby out with the bathwater per se um i think the other thing that's been going on uh that relates to the question that you asked has to do with um we spent many years optimizing the insides of organizations like let's create a solid wall here that barricades us against the outside world, and we'll pull in the resources and we'll track the stuff that's happening inside, um, and everything outside is almost like the the enemy or to be captured, um, and that you just can't do that. <laughs> like it's just not sustainable to do that, um, and it doesn't make you a good player in a broader ecosystem. Um, And so I feel like the last 20 years, at least, have been an exploration of like, what if that's a semi-permeable membrane? How are we working with what is outside the organization? Where are our partnerships? Um, And I think that you're aware that one of my passions is getting people to think not about the competitive analysis, but about cooperative analysis. You know, it's not... (laughs) who you're competing against is going to make you as successful as who you're cooperating with. So if you do a like, Oh, here's how we interact with other people in the ecosystem. These are ways that those people, those organizations um, are able to support our work and how are we feeding them in a way that's uh, allows them to continue to do so. Um, and so you're right. I've explored a lot about the, how do we behave in that ecosystem um, because that feels like we're, where the society as a whole is learning to grow like if we're trying to optimize the effectiveness of an organization part of this last 20 years has been learning to optimize how we are in relationship to others
2: and i one of the things around that frame another Thing that we're coming across a lot and that's kind of in your diagram is mm. is resilience um where we we've seen organizations have gone through challenge and their reaction has been ah okay sustainable but actually what we really want is is resilience uh, but their frame on that has been uh very individual and very atomic how to build an mm. individual supply chain a, 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 resilient supply chain, which is like looking at the individual suppliers and like, you know, how do I stress test them? And how do I make sure I've got an, an alternative supplier? I can throw a switch. How do I uh, get people to tap into their resources so they can be more resilient in the face of the, you know, the change mm-hmm. in, impacting on the organisation, which, um, you know, there, there is definitely some merit in that. And I've seen some great things. But, also find it slightly frustrating as an approach because it's a missed opportunity in thinking about, you were talking about you know, cooperation, so actually resilience at a system level mm-hmm. is a much more interesting concept, a much richer one. How do I you know, make it so that I'm not pushing that down to individuals, but actually enabling that to happen at a systems level? And that, that can be a very practical thing, Um, as well in terms of like supply chain, uh, customers, um, employees, all of those sorts of things. Yeah.
1: So in the resilience space, we're being more clear about facing risk. And one of my concerns about the way that people face risk is they go, okay, so here's a scenario, we're gonna have this happen. And then they design resilience to that particular problem And the world is so full of those risks that we can just kind of keep biting off them one by one instead of going, what's the overall thing that creates our ability to adapt to any of these things that arise? Right. And to me, that means being in relationship, like resilience uh, the best resilience strategy is to be in relationship because then somebody has the resource. Somebody in the network is the person to call. Um, not, oh, I've already pre-planned and I've made agreements with these particular allies about some, some preset outcome. Does that make sense to you?
2: Yeah, it does. And I, I, An example, I think, of my early career of kind of working in finance and building finance IT systems, the, the resilience meant buying two of everything. <laughs> like we'll, have, we'll have we'll buy one and it might break. So we'll buy two and then we'll buy some stuff to make it switch between the two things when one of them mm-hmm. breaks. And that was very much the for me is a very visceral demonstration of like that's a really expensive way to tackle resilience Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying well if if we're going to take resilience as that means having some spare capacity in the system why not put that somewhere that's perhaps more more shared rather than it being you know double the cost and double the waste it's a, a an incremental thing on top of what you do at least that kind of takes it a level on but even that kind of misses the opportunities that can be created and and you know if i kind of describe my journey I'm probably the, the regenerative stage at the moment like mm-hmm. working out how you build that into mm-hmm. organizations because that's that's i shouldn't say different than the resilient but to what you're saying i don't know is different it kind of encapsulates um but it's a much harder thing i find it a much harder thing to to grasp like how how does regenerative happen and what does that look like particularly in an organizational context
1: yeah so so you just use the example of redundancy right like yeah. we use redundancy yeah. as a resilience strategy and so regenerative might say well i'll I'll have priced out and and be in relationship in some fundamental way with some of the suppliers so that I can purchase the things if I need them as they break, right? It would start to spread that out strategically to be like, okay, maybe I'm not buying redundancy on all of the things, but I could access it based on changing um, demands. Um, And I just feel like thriveability takes that a little bit further and goes, how am I working in a system with others consciously to create the kinds of risk approaches that are going to work for me and others around me? Like, oh, I'm going to take up all the masks because suddenly I need to buy masks. Uh, Well, then nobody else has them. And (laughs) that's going to affect you badly as well. And so the it's not redundancy turns out to also turn into hoarding and the the regenerative might get you the thing when you need it but it's still not holding for system health and um this might be a good moment to talk about this model that i have called the cookie model have we talked about that before benjamin
2: always happy to talk about cookies
1: (laughs) I drew this diagram and somebody's like, oh, that looks like a cookie. And I was like, well, that's an interesting thing to to bring to it. But um, the idea of the diagram is just, of course, like there's a big plate and then you have a a set of cookies on the plate and each of those cookies might have like chocolate chips in them. And so the resilience of the plate is really important because all of the cookies are on the plate. The resilience of each cookie matters to all the chips, but doesn't offset the plate and the the resilience of the Um, chip doesn't really affect a cookie, right? If I take one chip out of the cookie, it's still a good cookie. Um, And so understanding where things are in the system so that you're going, how are we taking care of the plate to make sure that the plate is going to support each of the cookies? I'm probably a cookie um, or maybe I'm just a chip, but anyway, all of the chips are dependent on the cookies are dependent on the plate. And so, Um, thinking about the relationships there and how can we foster the well-beingness of the system um, would be a a broader approach than just um, can I get another chip in here
2: yeah and it's it is quite a it's a big mental leap and I use the example of of redundancy because it's like the right the crude technical like solution i think a lot of um what's been done under the resilience banner is is almost the opposite end of that of like how how do i make the one thing uh, indestructible uh, so that i don't have to replace it like to deal with you know, incredible amounts of stress and, and bounce back and that's that's how we'll solve the problem Whereas for me, for my understanding of regenerative, it's almost turning that problem around and saying, well, you know, actually how do we build a system such that it it can adapt to change? You go, well, actually maybe what we don't need, we don't need more of that thing or we, you know, we don't need that thing to continue to supply what it was doing. We can move into a different mode that supports it or changes it. And again, microbiome is a really good example of this. uh, Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't solve everything with one mechanism. It has multiple mechanisms that can be applied. So if the the microbiome gets kind of knocked out of whack through antibiotics or, or whatever it is, um, that there are other... It, it can effectively reconfigure itself to get the job done that it needs to do to enable the system to build back to a healthy state. Um, and so it, it's, it's interesting because it's a much lower cost mechanism than redundancy or mm-hmm. resilience. Um, and it's much more adaptive, but it's, it's a challenge I think like about how do you build that into organizations? How do you take that and apply that into how, how I build or grow my team or how, how we work with our customers or partner organizations to create those regenerative opportunities. Um, one of the reasons I quite like social value at the moment is, is it's a very practical way of saying let's in a very um deliberate way explore the opportunities to create something worthwhile out of what we're doing and optimize the decisions towards that which is you know it's already quite a, a dramatically different frame than just a kind of PL approach to things um it's it's actually saying well where where are the opportunities and actually that that throws out capacity because you're creating things that wouldn't have been there before that then create new and additional possibilities for me. That's the exciting thing about that mm. journey towards a, a thrivable organization is it comes up with things you wouldn't have, have even
0: thought were possible before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I really hear that. The other thing that I'm, I am think I'm hearing underneath some of that is the, we were doing so much work in organizations to create efficiency.
2: <laughs> yep.
1: Um, and that that's part of why we ended up losing all sorts of redundancies and buffers in the system. Um, and we have to find the right place for a specific organization um, to be efficient in some ways. Right. We can't <laughs> rampant inefficiency is not going to work. Um, but what is the risk relationship? Um, what is sufficient to allow um, there to be enough creativity to adapt um, and also enough security and stability um, to be able to move consciously as an organization uh, in a changing world?
2: Yeah, it's it's that efficiency one is. It's an interesting lever because that was so much of the business narrative for a long while, and and suddenly people realize, oh, actually, you, know, you end up with an extremely efficient system. That there is no resilience in it, there is no ability to adapt to change. Like, well done, you're winning at this race, but mm-hmm. there, there isn't there isn't another race you can go and take part in because you can do that one thing. And if that that sport goes away, mm-hmm. then um, you know not only are you not well adapted for what comes next you have no mechanism to adapt to what comes next
1: yeah
2: and again it's a it's, it's a, a challenging one in organizations of of unpacking all of the, those years of things that inherently were optimized towards oh let's make this really efficient towards mm-hmm. oh actually. Well, again, for a lot of people, it's like, well, what, what is the other goalpost? I mean, what are you to say, okay, I, I recognize this is the wrong game. What what am I optimizing towards? Because clearly, as you say, the, the answer isn't massive inefficiency. That's not the um, <laughs> not not the winning game. Um, and but it's like, well, how do you know how do we rebuild these systems? I guess, and how do we really rebuild organizations away from that? Efficiency mantra, um, particularly when a lot of the time organizations are still being judged on that efficiency mantra and being managed that efficiency mantra as well, because the people don't have a handle on another way of doing things.
1: Yeah, well, we've got lots of metrics for efficiency, and particularly money ends up being a pretty good measure of efficiency. And so, what are the ways that we can look at the health and well-being and and what are the measurements to be able to make sure we're getting it right like as you were saying like what's the target and how do I know I'm getting there is an important thing for us to be able to have a shared understanding of Um, and I think that that's also not something that's uh, there's a single answer that we all ought to be doing the same thing it's what is your value proposition what is the the Quality that you want to be delivering, or is it more about you really want to be efficient on time? Um, I use that word efficient. <laughs> we want to be, mm-hmm. you know, on on time delivery. Is that what it's more about? Is it more about we take care of our people really well so that they can adapt to whatever circumstances are arising? And you see people out there um, in organizations choosing different things to optimize for. And, and having good results from having done that thing. And so I think that's a, a conversation that each organization needs to be having. What is it that's our thing to hold so that we have something to push on uh, for our decision making? Um, because efficiency should not be the thing.
2: And it's, and as we, for the way that, um, from a social optic point of view, the way that we operate or or trying to operate when we hit on the decision that we're happy with usually that is something that doesn't need to be measured to be obvious that this works let me frame that a different way for me when you get to thrivable you don't necessarily need a metric to understand you've got there it's inherently obvious that you've got Mm. there it's like Oh wow! Actually, this yes. is you know th- th- this is the the, r- the right path, and we don't I don't need a you know ROI spreadsheet to tell me like my return on capital in in the eighteen months, and it's um it's just a, a strange balancing act that in in getting to a place where actually you're probably not going to need that that measurement frame actually um, that how decisions get made becomes much more about the culture making those decisions and the diversity of the culture making those decisions but organizations have to start from somewhere of, of i guess and i talk a lot about building maps i like understanding well what what is the organization's healthy rate of change like too slow too fast mm-hmm. are the things that i'm doing actually creating change or not so you kind of end up having to measure things (laughs) in -hmm. order to get to a point where hopefully you don't have to measure things anymore and you'll still always be measuring things but um yes in in that um yeah that's the kind of i guess the the jumble that i'm in at the moment of like how do do we get to that point being accountable but actually getting to this model which is yeah we've taught ourselves to spot the things that like yeah, actually, that's the way to go. Um, yeah, we don't we don't need to uh, kind of measure it in millimeters um, to know that that's what we want to do or, or the decision that we should make.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when I uh, when I first came into business, I was such an efficiency nut, uh, <laughs> just totally into it. And I get really irritated with, well, why do we have to have all this conversation before we even begin? Like, let's just get to the task. Um, and I was convinced by others to to actually do a check-in. How are you? What's going on in your life? And and realized that then when we got to the task, it was three times more efficient <laughs> to get that work done because we were, I don't know, in uh in awareness of each other and in a collegial atmosphere. And that that improved our creativity. It improved our output. And and so I think you have to look for these kind of weird, nonlinear, unexpected and indirect relational things. And I come at that as a a hesitant (laughs) and recovering control freak. Like it's just, it's amazing to me how much creating relational fabric and conversation um, and I'm aware of your like plan on the page thing. That thing feels to me like it's so helpful in getting us to figure out together how we're
2: going to move forward. And for me, in color, kind of, I guess my 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 world of trying to get to thriveable is the fact that it is inherently relational, um, mm-hmm. and and that's quite a step change. And again, I think in some some of the leadership canon that's kind of kind of taken as as obvious in a lot of kind of the management science world that, that just doesn't fit in with the shape of what <laughs> that wants to be but um and for me particularly i'm kind of, um, trying to understand well what does anti-fragile mean what does that look like for me the journey to that has, has been understanding and embracing the relational um it's like it's not supply chains it's supply systems and actually it's not supply systems you know it's there's there's a set of people working in these different organizations who relate to each other through through communities across careers across the you know these these imaginary boundaries that you that people put around that organizations don't exist there is there is no you know boundary other than maybe the perimeter of your organization that um you know you swipe your key card to get in and in fact you let people in and out of that the whole time so you know this idea of you know a company as a box or a circle it's like that that doesn't represent the reality of the situation you're in as an organization you are inherently relational it's it's a process of figuring out well what how do I support those relationships, and what what are the ones that enable the organisation to grow and to create a healthy ecosystem for that organisation as well? Um, and it's a very different mindset, I think, mm-hmm. and a very hard one to to journey into. Um, but well worth doing. So, on that frame, mm-hmm. and thinking about your journey, where Or how would you encourage people to start, I guess? How do you explore or play or start to structure this into um, where people might be starting from?
1: I guess the place that I'm at right now is uh, I'm circling back in on myself and going... Oh, I'm seeking to control outside me based on places I get uncomfortable inside me. And so how do I expand my own ability to be with my discomforts so that I'm not acting out as I interact with others? Um, And so that's, I guess, the place that I'm at is like the I think the best thing that leaders can be doing is being with themselves. And so maybe you have trouble being with anger or with sadness or with loss um, or with conflict. Like, how can I continue to grow my muscles to be with things um, so that when those things arise in my environment, I can be gentle with them because I've learned to be gentle with myself.
2: That's really helpful. That is, is that thing in the organizational context of realizing the the impact of that and you know, I, I the thing that was sticks to me is i was looking at an organization that had grown um incredibly and it was at like the 4 or 5000 people and there was just there was there was dysfunction around product and product delivery and yeah, It took a long while like exploring that, understanding systems and these sorts of things, and eventually came down to actually the fundamental root of that was a relational problem between two of the leaders in the organization, early on in the organization's history, that stemmed from yeah, you know a, a, a frame that um that they both had that was not not compatible um mm-hmm. where they they just hadn't kind of sat down and worked through that thing there wasn't just the relational thing between them it was actually an internal thing and that that the the impact radius of that was out mm-hmm. to thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of people um because they weren't uncomfortable with a particular thing or particular way of doing things um yeah it's it's fascinating, and I and I I can't get to the end without exploring a little mm. bit um, the agriculture angle, just for mm. a tiny bit, um, because it's one that fascinates me in terms of the the metaphors, but I think almost more
0: mm.
2: practically, it, it can be an interesting frame for looking at how to become thrivable.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, so before we jumped into the podcast, you and I were talking a little bit about my interest in agriculture lately um, as a a thrivable thing. And I've been exploring um, stuff like the microbiome, but also like what's happening at the edges of roots. And it was just like mind boggling to me to come to the understanding that plants are always already in a relationship with fungus. That almost all plants are actually, their soil, inter, uh, uh, where they're interacting with the soil is is fungus. And, and go, oh, there's always already this relationship that's a cooperative relationship between plants and fungus. And they're both benefiting from that, like almost all of life is in this relationship and yet we're operating with this metaphor of competition. It's just, I mean, competition does happen. It's just not the dominant thing in our, in living systems. And so you've got zones outside the the plant roots that are like how many kinds of life forms are within proximity to that um, and all in relationship with each other in different ways. Um, that's not to say that some aren't predatory, right? Like there's, um, but but when you're looking at uh, agricultural systems uh, from like um, uh, a more thrivable point of view, you're looking at like how are the hawks doing? Are the hawks finding enough critters to eat? Are those critters finding enough insects to eat? Are those insects finding, like the whole chain um, can be witnessed and its health by looking at whether the top predator is able to thrive. That means that all the, and the best way to like get rid of all of the the pest insects is to make sure that the predators of those pests are present. (laughs) It's just, it's fascinating to see how those um, agricultural systems can be rewired to create health all the way up and down the, uh, the
2: ecosystems that are present there. And it's I think can be an amazingly helpful metaphor because the you know you look at biological systems, they are so complicated. And just you know, you pick you you get a level of detail, you think, oh, I've got this, and then it's like there's a whole other level of detail, there's a whole other level of detail. Yeah. And you could never manage that, but you can operate within it to to create growth, to create food, to create food. Um and yeah, it's interesting, people talk about like high growth organizations like, well, that's really interesting. Like, have you looked at how, how like plants grow? Oh no, what <laughs> would you say? Well, there, there's just so many um kind of learning through metaphor from actually thinking about the resources it's got access to. It is the impact it's having on what's around it. Is that going to allow it to grow or is it creating an environment that it can't grow in? Are you you know what ecosystem are you supporting for your organization that's going to supply the future people who are going to join it the future customers the you know the supply chain for it all of these things um to the whole oh we've got no competition it's like if there's no predator there's something wrong with your ecosystem you want to kind of back out here and 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 rethink so um yeah i i i love the examples of um of going back to nature and and exploring that as a way to bring a lens back to well actually Yeah, your your organisation isn't a set of boxes linked by lines. It's this living mm-hmm. ecosystem that has a lot of those same characteristics. you never going to be be able to manage all the complexity in it, but there are things that you can do that enable it to not just sustain itself, not just repair itself, but actually get to the point where it can flourish and thrive because that's built into the nature of what it what it is about. Um, and, and that kind of loops me back round to, I guess, culture and the role of culture in getting to thriveable from a, an organisational context. So I don't know whether you had any thoughts on that as we come to my um, last question. Yeah.
1: So. One of the frameworks that I've been using lately is personal, relational, organizational, and systemic. Um, And it's like, we can't think about organizational thriving without thinking about relational thriving, without thinking about personal thriving, without thinking about the broader systems and that kind of, you know, uh, up and down, like systems don't have clear edges, especially living systems. And so it's... It's broader than just, is the organization thriving? It's, is it part of a thriving system? Is it contributing to that system? Are the people within it thriving? Um, and, and that the wisdom, I think we haven't even mentioned this word, collective intelligence, like the wisdom of knowing what thriving is, I really trust that most of us have an image of that. Um, Now, I might pull in one direction and the whole system needs to pull in a slightly different direction. So we need to be in conversation with each other. But it's often the case that the wisdom is right there. One of the funny things that I've learned um, from reading about indigenous wisdom is that things like poison ivy often have their antidote right next to it. So the things grow complementary to each other. And, uh, and I think that we often right next to an issue we have people who recognize what those issues are and can express them and know what the next step is to create more health in that system and how do we allow that to surface
2: that wisdom that's already present there I like that I think the in the um in the UK we have stinging nettles and dot leaves and mm. then again it's the same thing like the stick where there are stinging nettles you will find the dot, dot leaves and they are you know you kind of rub them in and they take away the they take mm. away the sting it's like the the system has the solution within it for the for the problem that you've encountered um, yes wow well thank you so much Dean, for um mm. sharing your thoughts and wisdom with us and being generous with your time um mm. I will um, we'll share in the show notes um, some resources and, and kind of where to come find you and some more about the things that you are up to for people who want to explore that more. Um, mm. But yeah, thank you for that thought for, for leaving us with.
1: Thank you, Benjamin. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Together, a podcast brought to you by Social Optic. If you aren't already subscribed, search for Social Optic Work Together on your favourite podcast service. And if you found it helpful, don't forget to help others find the podcast by giving it a rating, leaving a review and telling others about the show. You can find more from Social Optic on our website, socialoptic.com. If your organisation would benefit from data-driven decision making and desire to work better together, then get in touch through the chat box on our website. Drop us an email or give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. You can also read more on our blog, where we explore more of the themes we discuss on the podcasts. This podcast was hosted by Benjamin Ellis and produced by me, Chris Trim.